You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6 today. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, I'm providing those little green sheets uh, on the table right in the middle there um, that tell the scripture references that we're going to be looking over today. This is the only time during the service that you can get out of your seat, so do it now. I'm just totally kidding. Um, but those will help you to uh, follow along uh, as we're going. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, last week we began uh, this section. This is the second section of the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first three chapters, we said, are solely uh, statements of fact. There are no commands given in the first three chapters. Uh, whereas in the last three chapters, uh, chapters 4 through 6, we have at least 40 commands that are given to us. And we said that the significance of this is that before the Apostle Paul gives one single to-do, one single command, he gives us a huge dose of who we are, of who we are. Your actions are predicated upon your identity. Your actions are predicated upon your identity. You are more likely to obey these commands that are given in chapters 4 through 6 if you know who you are. They don't become a burden to you anymore. For example, you're more likely to be active in maintaining the unity of the Spirit if you realize the great lengths that God has gone to to bring you into his family and to make you one with other people. When you realize that he took, in the, in, the, in the beginning church, he took Jews and Gentiles who hated each other and brought them into one family. And then he takes people who are very unlikely to be together in normal circumstances of all different uh, kinds of races and economic uh, situations and genders. When he brings those together into one, when you realize that you're more likely to be diligent to maintain that unity, you're more likely to give generously when you understand how much God has given to you and for you. You're more likely to remain sexually pure when you realize the great sacrifice that God made to rid you of your old life uh, and the things of the past. You're more likely to fight in this spiritual battle knowing that you are a child of the King of Kings. All these commands given in these chapters define what the worthy walk is. We're going to read it in a second where he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. These chapters in verses four through six, they define what that worthy walk is, how we as the children of God are to conduct ourselves in a sinful world. This morning and the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do as we look at verses one through six of chapter four is we're going to see the underlying heart attitudes that should characterize how we as Christians live. Namely, this walk, this life is marked with humility, with gentleness, with patience, and with forbearing love. Today, we are only going to talk about humility. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, this is the very word of God. Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him uh, so that he can help us to understand this and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would do the painful work of cutting us open as a surgeon does with your Holy Spirit exposing any kind of wrong thinking, any kind of uh, pride that's in our lives. And we pray that you would remove it for your glory, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I cannot emphasize enough the high calling that you and I have been called to as Christians. We have a high standing, a high calling Uh, God has called us out of this world, and Satan, our great enemy, uh, will do everything in his power to downplay that calling in our minds. He will do everything in his power to distract us daily from that calling to which we've been called. Brothers and sisters, we have been called out of the evil system of this world. We have been called into the family of God. We have been called by the King of Kings himself into his personal family. We have been commissioned by him directly to go out into Galveston and the rest of the world and to make disciples. God is the one who has called us. The one who commissioned us is God himself. God, the one who is called holy, holy, holy. And we as his people are to reflect his character in this sinful world. We're to reflect that character. Uh, We don't uh, want our behavior to contradict our message. We don't want to be saying one thing, calling the world to something, and then we ourselves are not living it out. It's very sad when Christians fall in a major way and bring reproach on the name of Christ as the world is watching. How many times uh, have, as someone, you heard someone on the news or someone personally said, all you Christians are hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. You say one thing and then you live another way. And very often that's a true statement. It's a sad statement. We're called to walk a worthy walk, a walk that is marked by several important characteristics, the first of which is humility, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. The word that Paul uses here for humility means lowliness of mind. It means esteeming ourselves uh, small in as much as we are so. Uh, It means uh, having the correct estimate of yourself, the correct estimate of yourself. It's been noted that neither the Greeks nor the Romans had a word for humility in their vocabulary, uh, which makes sense because neither of them uh, saw humility as a character trait that anyone should possess. Humility to the Greeks and the Romans meant weakness. It meant cowardice. And who would be encouraged to walk uh, a life of humility? 
But that's not how Paul uses humility here. Yes, it means to be of lowly mind. Yes, it means to think less of yourself, but not in the sense that you consider yourself to be worthless or you consider yourself to be good for nothing. As noted in the definition that we just said, it means to esteem yourself, to uh, have a correct estimation of yourself. So here's how that works. How do you have a proper um, uh, estimation of yourself? Okay, so you are a member. If you're a Christian, you are the, a member of the greatest family in the entire universe. That's pretty amazing. That's a huge status. However, you are not brought into this family for anything that you did, okay? It wasn't like God was saying, I gotta, I gotta have him. I gotta have him no matter what it takes. I, my mission cannot go forward until he is in my family or she is in my family. No, we have been called in not for anything that we have done, but because of God's great mercy, okay? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. Realize that all of those blessings come from the outside. They're not self-generated. You didn't redeem yourself. You didn't forgive yourself, okay? You didn't magically put yourself into the family of God. All of those blessings came from the outside. They were given to you. You were passive, if you will, in this process. We as Christians have also been given incredible power, power to do beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Once again, that power comes from, without, from the outside. It's not something that we have in and of ourselves. I've been working at this for years and years, and now I have the power to do this. No. I don't. The power that enables me to do these things comes from the outside. It's been given to me. You and I have been given. We have not earned that power or that effectiveness in our spiritual lives. You are amazing, but all that makes you amazing has been given to you by God. To use biblical imagery, you are a branch, okay? And you may be a very, very fruitful branch. You are not the vine. The branch is connected to the vine. And if at any point you as the branch try to work independently of the vine, you just cut yourself off from the vine, go ahead and try to produce fruit. You can't. You will wither. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing at nothing whatsoever. So, uh, I mean, I was thinking about this. It would be like Moses in the Old Testament after God had blown a path through the Red Sea and all the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry land. It would be like getting on the other side and Moses saying, huh, do you see what I just did for you guys? Do you see that? Well, that's pretty amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. No, Moses had nothing to do with that. You know, he held his staff out over the water, right? That wasn't what magically moved the waters. It was God himself. It was God who did it. In fact, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, um, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers is usually that book where if someone is trying to read through the Bible in a year, this is where they stop, okay? Um, they, get, they, they work their way through Leviticus and all those regulations, and then they get to the names and numbers, and they're like, 
Uh, I'll try it again next year. Uh, This is too difficult. Numbers chapter 20. There's some amazing stories uh, in the book of Numbers. In this passage particularly, Moses is angry with the people. And if you read through uh, the first five books of the Bible, you will notice that Moses is angry with the people a lot because they're constantly complaining. Constantly. We're hungry. Why did you bring us out here? We're thirsty. And so in this passage, they're actually thirsty, okay? And they want Moses to do something about it. And so picking up in verse 10 of Numbers chapter 20, it says this, And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Period. Whoa. Moses did something in this passage that prevented him from going into the promised land with the rest of the people. Now, many think that the sin that uh, Moses committed was that he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock like God had commanded him to. And that may be the case. I, however, think that the sin is found in the first person plural pronoun, we. We. Who is the we here? Is it Moses and Aaron? Or maybe it's Moses and God? Or maybe it's all three? It doesn't matter who the we is because there is no we in this miracle, right? There is only a he or a him in this miracle. Moses did not do anything. Moses could have spoke to that rock all day. He could have prayed to that rock. He could have struck it. He could have drilled into it, and it would never have produced any water for him. It was God and God alone who was responsible for bringing the water out of the rock. And here it appears that Moses is trying to take some of the credit for that, and that's pride. And it cost Moses his ticket into the promised land. Now, when you look at this story and you know the life of Moses, you may think, this is, this is pretty harsh, right? I mean, come on, God. Uh, after all Moses did, after all that he went through, he does one little slip up and he's out. But according to this text, this was not a little slip up. You see, Moses was called by God and Moses represented God before the people. God's charge against Moses and Aaron was that they did not believe in him and they did not treat him as holy before the people. God does not take pride lightly. In fact, if you look at the Old and New Testament, if you look at the stories in the Old and New Testament, you see that God deals with pride swiftly and very severely. Okay, it was the sin of pride that got Lucifer, who is known as Satan, kicked out of heaven. 
in Ezekiel chapter 28. So, so pride would be the very first sin that was ever committed. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2, God is talking. He's giving a, a word of warning to a physical king that is living on the earth at the time. And here's what he says. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods uh, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God. And then he goes on and he's talking to this king, but somewhere along the line, he switches to talking to the king directly to the person behind the king, namely Satan himself. And in verse 11, here's what he says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that, they were, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as profane, as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Pride. Pride is what got him cast out of heaven. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15 record the same event in different words. It says this, How have you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Lucifer is saying, I will, I will, I will. And God's like, oh, no, you won't. And he's cast out of heaven because of his pride. It was the pride of Nebuchadnezzar that made the Lord uh, drive him from his people to where he became like an animal, where his hair grew long, his nails grew long, and he ate grass he was humiliated before God. It was pride that moved God to do that. It was the pride of Sennacherib who said, there's no nation on this earth that can fight against me. There's no God that can fight against me. And the angel of the Lord went through in one night and killed 185,000 of his soldiers. And he went back to his city in humility. In the New Testament, we have King Herod who stands up to give a, a speech and he's got his, his royal attire on and he is just dressed, 
you know, and, and he just looks good and he starts to speak. And here's what it says in Acts 12, 22 and 23. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is why in Isaiah 42, 8, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. I don't share it with anyone. This is why in James 4, 6, it says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility declares that God is all and we are nothing. Humility declares that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and that apart from him, we can do nothing. All right, so humility towards God is a must. When you compare yourself to God, you see that, oh man, I got no room for boasting whatsoever. But what about humility towards our fellow human beings, right? Certainly there's some room for boasting here, right? I mean, as you start to look around and compare yourself to others, there's certainly some room that you have for boasting in regard to other people. Well, the Bible says no. And the reason it says no is because by the grace of God, you are who you are and they are who they are. All of the strengths and weaknesses that they have have been given to them by God. All of the strengths and weaknesses that you have the same way. Now, as I was looking at this, I was thinking there's several areas in which we as human beings, general areas where we can become filled with pride, okay? Where we can become prideful. It might be our intellect. It might be our physical appearance. It might be our economic status, the wealth that we have, or it may be abilities that we have, maybe athletic abilities or musical abilities or some other type of abilities. Here's what I want you to note about all of those things. They are all given to you by God. All of them are given to you by God. So for example, if you are a physically beautiful person, right? You are physically beautiful because God has made you physically beautiful and he can take that physical beauty away from you just as quickly as he gave it to you, okay? If you are a super smart person, super like just intellectual and, you sit and, and, e and learning just comes easy to you and you just wonder, you, you stand amazed that people cannot pick these things up that just come so easily to you. If that is you, realize that your intellect, your brain power comes from God. He is the one who has made you smart. He's the one who's given you that intelligence. If you're wealthy, realize that all of that wealth comes from God. If you are athletic or if you're musically inclined or you're both, realize that all of your ability, whether athletic or musically or whatever it may be, has, given, has been given to you by God and it can be just as easily taken away from you. None of these things, I just need to tell you, none of these things have been given to us so that we would therefore start to compare ourselves to others and think that we're all that. None of them have been given to us for that. No, they've been given to us that somehow we would reflect the character of God and be used and, and use that for his glory and the good of his church. Therefore, 
if you're intelligent, use that intelligence uh, to glorify God by building up his church. How can I use my, the God-given ability that I have to just understand things, to know things? How can I use that for the glory of God and for his church? And how can I point other people who would look at me and say, wow, you're so smart, point them to the true source of intelligence, the true source of all wisdom? If you're wealthy, use your wealth to advance his kingdom. How do you do that? You do that by supporting the local church. You do that by supporting ministries uh, that are proclaiming the word of God and helping the people in the community. You do that by, uh, by feeding the poor directly. You use your money, your wealth for his purposes. If you're athletic, uh, you, you just, you're just naturally good and maybe so good that you can uh, reach a level to where people are actually looking at you and, and emulating you. Use that platform for the proclamation of the gospel to say, yes, I am gifted. Yes, I can do this. But all of my ability comes from God. And without him, I am absolutely nothing. The same with your musical talents. Use it. Maybe when you play, you draw people into you. If you draw people towards you, make sure that you're pointing them to God. Or use your musical ability to lead people in the worship of him. There's a ton of other areas that we could talk about, but you get the point. All that you are is because of God. And all that you have is a gift from him. And speaking of gifts, whether you look at what God has given you and you think that, man, I have a huge gift or I have a very small gift, right? It doesn't matter because if it's big or it's small, all of us will one day give an account to God for how we used that giftedness, how we used it. He'll give an account. Well, you didn't give me much. Well, what'd you do with what I gave you, right? That's what the reward is based on. It's not based on how much he gave us. You know, whether he gives us a lot or a little, it's based on what we did with the gifts that he has given us. So how can we specifically walk in humility in this church or in any given church? Uh, let's start with uh, our specific giftedness. Uh, if you're a Christian today, I just need to remind you, um, if you're in the family of God, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you're a Christian, um, then you have been given a spiritual gift, okay? Uh, probably you've been given multiple uh, gifts, but you at least have one gift. And you are to use that gift in the church. You've heard me say this before. There is no one who sits on the bench in spiritually speaking. It's not, God hasn't put me in yet. Yeah, yeah, yes, right? I mean, you just won't go in, right? You're just sitting there. There's other people doing that. Or there's other people who are gifted in that area. And you're just like, well, I'm just going to sit back. No, no, no. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and you have been gifted by God. Now, some of these gifts, if you look at them, there are a wide range of gifts. And the extremes are this. Some are the more showy gifts where you're in front of people. My gift would be considered a more showy gift. I'm a teacher. Every Sunday, I'm standing in front of you all and people see me, right? But then there's the other end of the spectrum to where those people are more behind the scenes. There might be people who are in the church for years and, and people are like, I've never met this person. I don't know them. They serve faithfully, but what they're doing is that they're behind the scenes. Now, whatever your gift is, Satan will always tempt you to walk in pride regarding that gift. 
And let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say you have one of the more showy gifts, okay? Uh, you're teaching, you're counseling people. Uh, he, can he can tempt you in uh, one of two extremes and everything in between. He can tempt you to be prideful by thinking to yourself that you're all that. By telling you that, hey, there has never, ever been a teacher like you in Galveston. Never. I mean, my goodness. When you die, I don't know how this community will go on, right? You are the best. You, you execute your uh, sermons or your teachings with 99.9% .9 accuracy. You're the best. No one can compare. When you give counsel, whoo, my goodness, stand aside Solomon because someone wiser than Solomon is here, right? Satan can tempt you in that regard. And he can tempt you to look down on others, to start to critique their style of delivery, or maybe they messed up a couple of times, or start to, uh, uh, start to point out their uh, doctrinal errors that you consider the secondary issues, not the primary ones, but you start to look down and say, I have the corner on the truth. I am, I am right with God. And you start to look down on others, convincing yourself that you and you alone stand for the truth. That's pride. That is not walking in humility. Or he can go in the complete opposite direction. And he can say this after you just had a rough teaching, right? You went up there and you're talking in front of people and you're just like, that was horrible, right? That was horrible. You, and he comes and he convinces you that you are the worst and that it's embarrassing that you even got up in front of those people and talked or that you were even allowed to get up in front of those people. You have no place talking in front of people. This is pride as well. How is this pride? Well, because if that's your attitude, it's all about you, right? It's all about you. If you prepared your best and didn't get the response that you wanted and therefore felt defeated, then it's because in the end, it was really all about you, right? It was all about uh, what people think of you. Your pride was wounded. You did not meet your expectations. And therefore, people might think, oh man, he wasn't as good as I thought. She wasn't as good as I thought she was. And we don't like that. It wounds our pride. Satan can also tempt on the other end those who have maybe the behind-the-scenes gifting, either by telling you that you're insignificant. You realize that if you stop going to this church, no one would even know. You're insignificant. No one knows what you do. No one cares what you do. Actually, you don't do that much. Or he can get you to desire the more showy gifts. Man, I wish I was up there in front. I wish people recognized me. I wish people knew me. How come this girl or this guy gets all the glory? Or he can convince you on the other extreme that nobody has ever served like you. Nobody. You are the most selfless person. You are the most giving person. And he starts to pat you on the back. And he says, man, aren't you so glad you don't have those showy gifts? Because everyone who has a showy gift, that's all they're doing is they're just trying to show off, but not you. Look at you. You're humble. You're humble. My point is this, that no one is immune from pride. And this is why when Paul starts to talk about the worthy walk, about our conduct, how we are, are to uh, live a life that pleases God, he starts off with a walk of humility. Amen. Humility. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says this, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay? And the reason I read that verse is because what I want to do at the remaining time is I want to help you and I to assess whether we are walking in humility or whether we are walking in pride. Okay, that's what I want to do. Um, uh, whether we're walking in humility uh, in, in relation to God and our fellow brothers and sisters or whether we're walking in pride, both inside the church and outside of the church. Now, this is necessary, okay? And I really, really want you to listen because um, a lot of people don't realize that they are walking in pride. They haven't taken the time to think about it. Is they're, they're looking at pride in a, in a big general sense, but they don't realize that in little areas you can be walking in pride. So I'm hoping that this is a wake-up call for some of us and uh, that we say, whoa, I never thought that I was walking in pride, but apparently I am. So let's begin easy, right? We talked about these things. You know, if you're uh, beautiful, physically beautiful or wealthy or talented or intelligent, and you realize that any and or all of those things are a gift from God and you do not consider yourself any better than anyone because of your beauty or because of your talents or because of your intelligence and in fact are using those gifts that God has given you for the glory of God and for the building up of his church, if that is your attitude, then you are walking in humility. Okay? If, however, you think that any of these things are your own doing, or you start to compare yourself to others and you start to look down on others. They're not as beautiful as you. They're not as intelligent as you. They're not as wealthy as you. They're not as, as talented or gifted as you. If you start to do that and you're looking down on others, you are no longer walking in humility. You are walking in pride. Okay? That's our first test. Regarding the exercise of your spiritual gifts or your position in the church, because there's some people who are put in a position of leadership. I'm the leader of this ministry. I'm the leader of this ministry, all right? You have maybe that official title. Okay, so regarding that, if you know that your giftedness and your role in the church comes from God and it wasn't given to you for anything that you did, and you only exercise that gift or that leadership position by the power that God supplies and that your gift or position is no more important than anyone else's, but it's only effective as you work in concert with everyone else in the church. If that is your attitude, then you are walking in humility. You're walking in humility. If, however, you think that your gift or your status in the church is more important than someone else, my ministry is way more important than theirs, or that you've achieved the success on your own abilities and your own efforts, then you are no longer walking in humility. You're walking in pride. Satan has duped you. If you look at others' gifts and their position in the church, and you praise God for them, and you rejoice in the success that they see, as you see them flourishing, and you look to support them in any way possible, even if you get zero recognition and they get all of the recognition, if that's your attitude, then you are walking in humility. You're walking in humility. If, however, you are jealous of the recognition that others get for the success of their ministry, if you're jealous of them, then you are walking in pride. Because once again, you're the one who wants to be recognized. 
you're not walking in humility. If you give to the church, if you give secretly, either during the offering time or if you give secretly to an individual with no desire for recognition, with no desire to be repaid, with no intention of seeking a uh, maybe a stronger position in the church, if that is your attitude in giving, then you are walking in humility. If, however, you give with the intention of being recognized as being generous, wow, this person gives so much and you want people to recognize that or you are giving so that you can have a greater voice in the church. Hey, you do realize how much I give here, right? If you're not going to budge here, I can take my money and go elsewhere. If that's your attitude, I'll just say this. God does not need your money, okay? You're walking in pride and you're not walking in humility. Regarding personal relationships, if you willingly admit Okay, this is going to be a tough one. If you willingly admit to your spouse or children or fellow brothers and sisters when you are wrong, okay, willingly acknowledging a fault or a blind, sight, a blind spot that you didn't realize you had because it's been brought to your attention out of love from another brother or sister in Christ, if you ask for forgiveness and you seek to change, then you are walking in humility. If, however, you're not willing to acknowledge when you're wrong and you're seeking to justify your actions and lay the blame at someone else's feet, it's because of them that I did this. It's because of them. If you're doing that, you're not walking in humility. You're walking in pride. If when hurt by someone, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and this happens all the time in the church, right? With people who are intentionally trying to hurt you or they didn't even know they were trying to hurt you. If you are hurt by someone and you refuse to stew over it, you refuse to take it personally and you continue to treat them with love and respect, then you are walking in humility. If, however, you treat them differently, maybe you start to withdraw from them physically or emotionally in an effort to punish them for the wrong that they did against you, you're no longer walking in humility. You're walking in pride. If you're seeking the welfare of others, if you're seeking their comfort even above your own, if you're looking for ways that you can make their life that much easier, you are walking in humility. If, however, it's all about you, it's all about your comfort, it's all about your ease, it's all about me, 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 you're no longer walking in humility. You're walking in pride. So those are some of the areas just to give you an idea of how you can start to examine yourself, how you can start to look at your life and say, am I walking in humility or am I walking in pride? And I really want to encourage you to examine yourself. This is what you're here for. I hope you realize that. I think Satan has a, this thing where he tries to distract us and uh, he gets us into church and, and churches were just fulfilling our religious duties, right? Check that off. I went, I attended church. I was even there for two hours today, all right? So I'm good. No, the whole purpose of coming here, the whole purpose of coming here is so that you can, if I can put it this way, you can hear the love of God coming into your life, but you can also get a kick in the, in the backside by God too, right? That you can say, God, okay, here I am. I want to be more like you. This is my life. Cut me open, right? 
expose the evil that is in my life and my heart. We're not here to beat you down. We're here to say, do you want to be more like Christ? Do you want to have that power in your life unhindered? Then you got to let God do heart surgery on you. You got to let him rip you open. You want to hear from his word, letting his word expose any sin in your life so that you can rid yourself of it and so that you can better reflect his character in the world. So let me ask you, and I'm not looking for an audible response based on what we talked about right now. Would you consider yourself to be walking in humility or walking in pride? How'd you do in those areas that I was talking about? If in any you're like, I'm walking in pride, then you need to say, God, change my heart. Change my heart. Don't let these words go in one ear and out the other. Be, as James says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, right? Some people are like, hey, I heard it. That's good. Wow, I was even moved, right? But then they do nothing to change that life. That is not pleasing to God. God says, what are you going to do about it right now? I heard a pastor who, like... uh, I don't think I've ever done this. I don't, I don't plan on doing it, but someone would come up to him after a sermon and say, man, that was a great sermon. And he would say, so what are you going to do about it? I'm like, whoa, you know, that's, that's true. You can tell me all day that was great. Is your life going to change as a result of that? Now no one's going to ever tell me that I did a great sermon. But anyway, <laughs> that's cool. I don't need it. Trust me. Um, all right. Here's the thing. God is pleased when we actually live it out. Uh, our best example, you don't need to go far for this, our best example of, the, of humility is the greatest human who ever lived, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God-man. Uh, and we see his demonstration of humility in Philippians 2. I'm going to ask you to turn there right now. Philippians chapter 2, it's in the New Testament, and verses 1 through 9, we're going to look at this passage as we start to draw our uh, thoughts to a conclusion Jesus, once again, is God. He, he is the Son of God. He is perfect. Uh, he, uh, he came down to earth, and here's what it says. He starts off giving some instructions to them about their interactions with one another and their attitude, and then he says, hey, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus was God, and he humbled himself. We are not God. How much more should we humble ourselves? Jesus thought of the needs of others. He sacrificed to meet the needs of others. How much more, as his followers, 
seeking to reflect his character, should we be thinking of the needs of others and sacrificing to meet the needs of others as we engage in this mission of making disciples? During the days of slavery in the West Indies, there was a group of uh, Moravian Christians who desired to reach the slave class, those who were slaves, but they found that it was impossible because the people who were in one class did not associate with the people in another class, especially slaves. Slaves were looked down upon. They didn't deserve your time, so you didn't, you didn't talk with them. But there were two young missionaries who were determined to reach this oppressed people. And in order to do that, to reach them, you know what they did? They actually laid aside their status and became slaves. They identified with the slaves. They joined the slaves. Uh, they worked and lived beside the slaves, uh, becoming totally identified with them, sharing with them uh, in their overwork, working all hours of the day, sharing with them even in their beatings and their abuse. That's crazy, right? They gave up their freedom became slaves, even though they were not slaves, so that they could reach slaves. And as a result, many slaves came to know Christ as they looked at this amazing demonstration of love and humility. Isn't that what Jesus did, right? He looked at us. He was God. He became a man subject to death. Why? So that he could reach us. That is an amazing example of humility. One more thing I want to say is this. When we humble ourselves before God and others, we put ourselves in a position to be exalted by God. Okay? When we humble ourselves before others, we put ourselves in a position to be exalted by God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may exalt you. I remember Spurgeon telling the story of a, of a young man uh, who, was, who was slated to preach and he walked up to the pulpit and he was just going to nail this. He was going to knock it out of the park. Everyone was going to stand amazed at his oratory ability. And he flopped and he went down with tears. He went off of the stage with tears. And Spurgeon said if he would have went up like he came down, he would have came down like he went up. He exalted himself and he was humbled. If he would have humbled himself, God at the proper time would have exalted him. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to, like, I'm speaking from experience right now, so please listen here. It is much better. It is much better to uh, humble ourselves before God and others and let God exalt us than to exalt ourselves in the eyes of God and others and have God humble us, right? God hates pride, and sometimes he's not very gentle when he pulls the rug out from under us, Right? Don't walk in pride. Don't walk in pride. Brothers and sisters, I just want to urge you and myself to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility for the glory of God and for the good of his church and this community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. 
We thank you for your word once again. I pray that we would allow it to cut us, Lord, in a way that brings healing to us, uh, that exposes the sin in our lives. Lord, take it out, Holy Spirit. Take it out. Make us willing, Lord, to say, God, whatever it takes, I don't want to live a mediocre Christian life anymore. I don't want to live with half-hearted obedience to God. I don't want to live holding on to these sins in my life which tangle entangle me and trip me up. Lord, help us to walk in humility. And I pray, God, that we would really listen to what was said today and that we would think, am I treating my brothers and sisters in Christ with humility? Am I, am I walking in humility or do I think I'm better than them? And I just pray that you would change our lives, that you would make us, all of us in this church, walk in humility, Lord, and it would make such a huge difference in this church and in this community. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.